From Humber College, in association with the Etobicoke Philharmonic Orchestra, my name is Mark Whale, and this is the Music Listening Project podcast. I'm very pleased to have with me today Matthew Jones, conductor of the EPO, to listen to Prokofiev's Lieutenant Kije. Briefly, Lieutenant Kije is a piece of music that Prokofiev wrote for a film that was made in the Soviet Union in 1932. And the story goes somewhat like this. There is a clerk in the employ of Tsar Paul I, and he is copying out a military duty roster, and he miscopies a name, uh, the name of Lieutenant Kije. And the Tsar is perusing the list and notices this name and feels it's quite unusual, asks to meet Lieutenant Kije. The courtiers panic and... Uh, they wonder what they're going to do because they know that if it turns out they've made this mistake and the Tsar knows it, he's not an easy man. And so somebody's committed a crime and they pin the crime on Kije and he gets deported to Siberia. And so that's their problem solved. However, the real culprit of the crime confesses and then Kije is pardoned and he comes back and the Tsar bestows lands on him you know, as as recompense for being sent to Siberia and asked to meet him. So the courtiers have the same problem. And so what they do is they, they say, I'm sorry, he, he died. Uh, but in the course of all of this, they have to kind of invent a life for him. So Prokofiev's music uh, outlines his life, it's starting with his birth and then his romance then the wedding and then there's a movement in the middle, the Troika, and then finally the burial. So we're going to begin by listening to the first movement, which is Kijay's birth. Okay, so what's going on there? Well, being the birth of Kijay, and it's interesting to maybe point out that that trumpet that we hear at the beginning uh, can be an offstage trumpet. So you don't even see the player. It's backstage, which makes the sound, you're not sure where it's coming from, and it's, you know, the, the kernel of an idea, right? And that's that theme, of course, is important to take note of because uh, we sort of expect we're going to hear that theme coming back at us. Right, and it's like a taps, isn't it, or a kind of bugle 
cool, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. So it has this incredibly military feel, which, of course, is also then taken up by the drums. Mm-hmm. And then we get the side drum. I remember playing this as a kid, wanting to do this. <laughs> and immediately, uh, like the pipe and drums, right? That's right, the pipe and drums. Very much a military theme, which of course is in keeping with the context that Prokofiev was given to write for. Right. And now you get this sort of horseback kind of thing. <laughs> it's got a, a slightly different lilt to it. It absolutely does. A little bit prouder almost yeah. uh, in its sound. And then this is this theme we're going to hear coming back a lot, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. This one. So there's a there's a lot going on. I mean, he you know Prokofiev manages to set up the military flavor through very typical devices: trumpet, drums, then these horn cries, and then you get this contrast, I guess, with the the Kije theme or, or whatever that is that. Um, yeah, I mean, when we're listening to almost any piece of music, the the opening is of course the introduction, right? Is incredibly important as a listener to. Um, Pay attention to the different themes and to pay attention to the context that's being created. And then back to the... Okay, I want to jump ahead now to this middle section. This middle section is like this wall of sound that gradually grows isn't it but it all essentially stays in c major there isn't it's really one chord isn't it that's my sense of it anyway listening I just think it's amazing how much you can, how many different colors and textures you can bring out essentially around the same chord that just holds. Well, it strikes me when I listen to that, the range of that chord. You have the piccolo, the high, high flute sound, you have tuba, and you've got this awesome bass drum. I want one of those. Right. If you want to play snare, I want the bass drum. That's an amazing sound on this recording. Um, and so that, that, that immense range. 
there's the bass drum, right? Yeah. And the piccolo at the top, you're right. Bring on the lower brass and the tuba. Listen to the tuba here. Again, I just find it astonishing that there is, to begin with, you just hear a wall of sound and then it's like you begin to pick out the different shapes or the different flavors. Well, I was, I, I, I to sort of expand on what the audience is hearing and what gives it that expanse, and we talked about it in rehearsal, where the relationship between the first oboe, for example, and the second oboe, first flute, second flute, they're interchanging this this weave of sixteenths. And, you know, uh, we talked about it in rehearsal. Is it, is it one line? Is it more people? It, it, it's deceptive when you listen to it, right? That's a really good point because, yeah, we have that in the violins as well. We have lines which are not in this bit, but in other parts. We have lines which appear to be continuous, and yet actually we're swapping from outside to inside. And so you, you have something which is the same, which is continuous, but which is not continuous. And... Having said that, that reminds me of the very end of this movement. So we go through a period of slight uncertainty and some strange accents, and you can read what you want, I guess, into that in terms of Kijay's birth, uh, which was obviously a slightly strange affair. Uh, <laughs> but we end up with this uh, trumpet call again. Yes. You're going to hear a clash of sounds here. Um, he's got two basic sounds going on, B-flat major and D major. There. Yep. Then something totally new. Now, if you just listen to the last note of this, he adds something with it. What is that extra reverb that he adds? Well, it's the violas. The violas. <laughs> the violas get to add the reverb. They're, okay. they're the ones that, that almost move the whole piece forward into the next movement, right? Okay. Because they've got this. It's like an atmosphere, isn't it? It's a real tension somehow. Uh-huh. It, if you listen uh, to that, you also hear the basses playing a harmonic that's really quite high for a, a bass instrument, which of course you'd expect to play much more low. And even the relationship between that bass note and then what the violas play, that's the question mark in a mm. way, right? That relationship. And mm. you're absolutely right to point out the, the that lovely clash in... In keys, uh, there's an unsettled quality about it, right? The piece is clearly not over, and we know that because there's still some discomfort to our ears. So I think it's here, right? Oh, yep. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds almost like a mistake, right? It does. That's interesting. So a beautiful, again, a beautiful mistake. Yes, no, absolutely. But again, what we kind of, I think, just to sum that up, what we're interested in here is the way that Prokofiev adds these textures 
to sounds which minutely alter them over time. So, you know, the trumpet ended its first call at the beginning with a pure note, but at the end it's now got this viola texture. Okay, so we now move on, and now we've got the uh, romance. So, what is playing that, Matthew? Well, again, we go to the double bass, high in its range, which has a unique quality for a sound within the orchestra. Uh, a very interesting... Um, timbre? Timbre, yeah, that's right, the tone of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a special quality and used very much on purpose to elicit a response from us as listeners, of course. And we are remembering that this is a romance that never actually takes place. Right, and uh, that's interesting in itself. But why, I mean, does he use a double bass? Because, you know, we have to think um, Sanson uses the double bass to represent the elephant, right? And uh, here we are talking about a romance. Now, the double bass, uh, and this is incidentally a folk song called The Little Grey Dove. Little grey dove, not little white dove. Uh, So this romance... (laughs) Is of a pretty dubious nature. You said it in a sense; it doesn't exist. But let's let's say that you know it, it's fiction. But why? You know, it's interesting that this romance seems to have this lumbering, awkward. Well, I think it makes me realize that, of course, perhaps as a listener, we bring certain expectations to what we imagine a romance is going to be like. Maybe surely the cello should be playing that or the violin, Absolutely. right? But because it's been changed, there's something in that. Yeah. It sounds nice enough at the beginning. Absolutely. Maybe the oboe, you know, but. What? <laughs> well, there's a kind of delicacy to it, isn't there? There's a. Oh, no, absolutely. It's, it's Double a, basses can fall in love as well. Uh, don't get me wrong. No, no, but. no. But what I mean is <laughs> precisely because it's not a melody instrument, it's not doesn't have the slickness. There's a, there is an awkwardness to it, but there's a poignancy, right? Yes, yes. You know? Yes. Well, I mean, in, in, in the context of the film, people's lives are kind of right. depending on this too, yeah. right? So, a better word is maybe a fragility. It's, it's kind of fragile, you know, because you have to coax those notes out, that enormous great instrument. And of course, it's so big and it is awkward. You must really want to play that solo and get that line out, right? <laughs> so there's even a physicality to it that I think is uh, poignant here. Yes, yeah. and also we've got to remember that the, the double bass player is so touched to be given a solo <laughs> that, that they really want to play it. Uh, the, our, our double bassist was, was quite uh, uh, disappointed to learn that it, the, the romance was a ruse. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was sad to pass that on to them. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I, Later on, this is uh, tune is actually taken up by a very interesting instrument. It's taken up by the saxophone, which is, of course, quite uh, is not used in orchestras 
prior to what? Who was the first person you used? Oh, well, that's right. It's it's a, a novel sound for sure, but the late Romantics started to introduce it because, of course, it was invented. So there yeah. you go. And it is a tenor saxophone, interestingly. So, uh, well, it has a, its own unique quality that we're going to hear. So now it's become a bit more sexy, right? Yeah, it's not a soprano sax, <laughs> <No>. but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know. I love that, the flute um, counterpoint. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a major change. And then the harp. Yes. I think it's it's worth pointing out, other than all of the different textures and, again, sounds and counterpoints that are going on, we could go on forever. But I'm interested particularly in uh, a theme which kind of keeps going throughout the whole of this work is this rhythmic, almost heartbeat pulse mm -hmm. that is quite often going on there in the bass. So what do I mean? So in this movement, it's this. If we go back to the beginning. Dong, ding. Ding, and that just keeps going and and then later on when we get to the yeah there you go it's the kind of piece in many times that you can sort of do a sort of rhythmic shuffle of the feet while you're playing the violin ah yes ah yes ah oh, yes uh, I get to dance on the podium yeah. so <laughs> exactly. Okay, so we're going to move now on to the wedding. Again, we've got the There we go. The repeated rhythmic thing. Ah, and hark, what is this? I think we recognize this from earlier. Yeah. So this is, I just, this is has such a confidence, I find, and a slickness. And I'm saying that because this tune, which I find quite uplifting, comes back later on in the burial and it has a halting quality to it. But no, you're right. So this is, I guess, uh, the bugle or the trumpet that is now playing this. Yeah, there's, it, the quality of it is it has a certain excited sound. I think uh, it's really important from the podium to get that tempo right so that it's buoyant and can float along like that. Yeah. And uh, as you would expect at a, at a wedding uh, ceremony, a wedding setting. The guests arriving. <laughs> I like that bang at the end. Did you hear that? Yes. It's my favorite. That's my bass drum. <laughs> Listen to the bang. And that lovely. Let's just hear again. Did you hear the uh, flute over the top? Well, I'm sure you heard the flute over the top. So we're listening for the bass drum bang at the end, which is cool. And then this flute counterpoint. So when the, the counterpoint means, you know, there's a melody playing against it. 
flute. Variation. Nice little variation. Yeah, and, and that brings us nicely on to the final variation, or the final variation. Like at the, the second half, we get this string thing happening, which is very, very difficult. Oh, yes, the pyrotechnics. Difficult to play, and it kind of goes through the orchestra. Again, it was a bit like this transferring of themes, passing it on the violins, pass it onto the second violins, pass it onto the violas, pass it onto the... And it's all done against uh, this uh, trumpet tune. Slightly different key now. <laughs> Still got the bass drum in there. Oh, yeah. I also hear there's a certain nervousness and insecurity about this wedding. Because, of course, I know from the program notes, if I read them, that this wedding doesn't really exist, right? And people's lives are at, are kind of at stake. So there's a, a ruse going on, and you can kind of hear that subtly in the music. So it's very dual-purposed. It's interesting you say that, because I I acknowledge this is not going on, but there seems to me something like, he, like Prokofius also, you know, he's invested in his character, <laughs> and uh, the people who are writing about it become invested in the character, which is what makes the story not believable, but mean something to us. So it's not simply that it, clearly there's a larger arc to this, which is the reality of the situation that people's lives are at stake if the character goes wrong. But, you know, as with any story, you can become attached to your main character. And so it seems to me that, yes, it might be that there's an uncertainty or a fragility to the marriage because the marriage doesn't actually exist. But at the same time, there's a, uh, you know, this youthful dashing da da dee da 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 Oh, absolutely, yes. But then it's is with, as you say, it's kind of awkward. And this little bit is awkward. It's kind of busy. Yes. Right? <laughs> Irritant. Looking over its shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to probably the most famous of all of these uh, movements, which is the Troika, which was uh, used, I believe, by Woody Allen, wasn't it? I mean, it's like it's a piece of film music, but it was used in Love and Death. I oh, think. yes. In fact, snippets from this have been used uh, apparently quite quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, recycled. And if you listen to our previous podcast with uh, Jeff Mason on sleigh bells, you will know that this is... Uh, one of the top five sleigh bell pieces uh, in the repertoire. So we're going to hear sleigh bells. So let's just listen to the beginning of this. And we're off. So um, we kind of know this, it's famous. Do you have any particular comments on this? Or what you heard? Well, I think 
the the pomp and circumstance of the opening is is clear, created by the kinds of instruments that Prokofiev has has featured there. Uh, I mean, it is the full orchestra, of course, but you're hearing lots of brass and lots of strident playing. And then a contrast, a change, which is, because it's a contrast, is I think meant to make us um, also shift gears and change scenes. No, that's right. And that's a really good point, because you've got this this gravitas, this weight, mm. and the instruments are weighty. And then you have this incredible lightness of the fluffy, powdery snow. Um, not that I'm into making images, but it's what comes to you know mind. And uh, and again, that's created by the, the, these strings. So let's just hear the beginning again. and the tuba down there. lightness although he does give the tune to the cellos indeed he yeah. does but I'm sure everybody knows this but what's happening is we're plucking at this point and the second violinists uh, sometimes they play this part with the violins under their arms as they're so playing a guitar because the speed of plucking is so it's it's that speed and they're playing chords so it's very difficult to play it uh up um or some some people find it easier to play it down and it is one of those uh textures available to a composer to change that imagery to change your sense of the music yeah, yeah. I think in the interest of time, we're going to move on to the final movement. Many ways, the most interesting one of all of them. Absolutely. Just stop there because that's interesting in itself. Is that's probably the most atonal or the most dissonant stuff we've heard so far, right? It certainly ranks among them, and it's brand new. And of course, that is a very different kind of orchestral tag to the end of that trumpet call that then we've heard, and it it does do something to us and takes us into, I think, a new place for our listening. Yeah. And and uh, so we'll listen to that, just the end of that again, and then immediately we're back into this dun, jing, dun, jing, dun, the, the shuffling thing. And a shift. Now we've got the theme from the beginning. You're going to hear Key J's theme. Low clarinets. You've got this irritant <laughs> strings. Tenor sax. What about the strings here? Yeah. 
Sounds like the flight of the bumblebee. <laughs> and now the romance theme. But what I find interesting here is, is that it's now in upper registers and maybe more, slightly more, uh, dare I say it, valid instruments for romances. And now we get James Bond, right? <laughs> Very good. Very good. I should have brushed up on my movies. Very good. From Russia with Love. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, and I just want to say something. On, so if you listen to that, you've got um, during this romance theme and then you get these strings over the top and in there, there is this da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. See if you can hear that, the, the flutes. Now, I do not believe that when John Barry <laughs> composed his music for the Ipcrest file, uh, he did not have that in his head. So if you listen just to the beginning of the Ipcrest file mu music. We should change the credits. <laughs> That's enough of that, but there's you hear that. Da -da. If we go back now to the to our uh, um, okay, so here it comes on the string. It's not quite the same, but it's the same idea, right? I'm never gonna be able to listen to Prokofiev the same no, way again. No, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great, yeah. Okay, uh, and then we get these contrasts of the two uh, themes. So I'm particularly struck by the way that he juxtaposes the wedding theme and the romance theme. Uh, see whether I can get that. So obviously you got the dum bum 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 the wedding theme indeed and then and now you finally have the strings playing ah, full yes, fledged yes. so I think that this shows that in KJ's life you know it had integrity actually he managed succeeded in bringing romance into his marriage what do you think wow <laughs> I am totally impressed I, I I think you might be right I think you might be right and you know. Uh, I think if, if we could play that that once more for yeah. our listeners, the uh, listening carefully, really carefully though, to the change in articulation of the trumpet as it goes along, okay. these are just some of the subtleties that are available to composers, and it it's almost as if that violin theme is is drawing the wedding theme into it a little bit, and what I'm what I'm hearing. Uh, I hear accents at the beginning. That's when we we sort of hit the notes with with quite a bit of of clarity, and that gradually fades as the trumpet player plays okay. along. You can hear that's quite buoyant. 
There's a change. Oh, oh yeah. And another change. Very cool. I had not noticed that. And that's interesting because that brings us then to uh, the the stiltedness. So the tune returns in the strings. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can get that. But they now have um, rests in between. So ah uh, yeah. Here. cool so you know uh it, it still sounds quite happy but there is now it, you know on a musical level he's transforming the theme which is what keeps it interesting for us right now whether it has a programmatic meaning in terms of the story in terms of his uh maybe getting older or kind of his love developing or whatever that's something <laughs> we can And I just want to go to the end because that theme, at least from my memory, that theme becomes this beating heart. Let's see whether this works. I'm thinking heartbeat. There's almost, it, it, it gradually stops. It's like the little machine above the hospital bed, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it kind of like, it, it's, it, it almost loses the beat there as well. Somehow Prokofiev has done it so that you, you're not very sure where the bar lines are anymore. then we end at the beginning. That was a wonderful. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. So uh, we've been listening to uh, a very old recording, in case you didn't guess that from the hiss. Uh, it's the Chicago Symphony conducted by Fritz Reiner, and it dates from 1958. 
So please, uh, you will find after the podcast a link to a survey that you can fill out to help us know exactly what we should be doing in these podcasts that we're not doing or what we're doing well. So thank you very much for listening.